Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 56, we continue through our series in the gospel according to Luke. We now pick up where we left off in the narrative. Last time we saw Mary's response to Gabriel, who told her about the miraculous birth that was about to take place in her womb. Mary, this teenage girl from an ordinary small village in a no-name area that was heavily Gentile, a heavily Gentile population um, and small. Small, it was a town with less than 400 people, some say. She was chosen by the grace of God to be the mother of the Lord, to be family, to be family with the Lord by grace and grace alone. Her virgin womb would be a place for divinity to dwell. Jesus had no human father, but he had a human mother, and this is unique in all of history, that a body would be prepared for him to dwell in to take away the sins of the world. Hebrews 10, 5, as we said last time, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. The body that was prepared, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, was a body that was without sin. It did not have a sin nature. It did not carry the curse from Adam. Jesus would live a perfect and sinless life And he would do so going to the cross to be the perfect sacrifice. And this began in the womb of a virgin. Mary had received the grace of God. She had heard the word of God. And now by faith she surrenders to the will of God. And she remembers that in the announcement from Gabriel that her cousin Elizabeth was also with child. So this is where we pick up in verse 39. Will you read with me? In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word. This morning we look at worship. We look at worship from the lens of joy. We worship in a joyous delight. As we gather together today, we read the account 
of Mary visiting Elizabeth, and we see joy repeated over and over and over. We see a response of joy that exalts God in worship. In those days, verse 39, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. First thing we see about a joyous delight is we worship in joyous delight through desired fellowship. There's a desired fellowship that's taking place. It says, with haste, she went to go see Elizabeth. Now, as Gabriel was making that announcement earlier in verse 36, he says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. This Mary remembers. I can't imagine Mary's feelings at this point. I can't imagine how overwhelmed and how alone she must have felt. Who can I share this with? Who can I go to and talk about this, this incident with, this faith that I have, this belief that I, I believe to be happening? And so she remembers, well, Elizabeth, my cousin, who is advanced in years, she also has received a message. And so with haste, she goes to visit her. She travels some 80 to 100 miles. This would have been a three to four day journey. In, in our day, that's a hour and a half, maybe a two-hour drive, depending on how fast or how slow you drive. It'd be like getting in your car and going from Chattanooga to Marietta, Georgia. As I grew up, that's where my mom's family all was from, and I can remember those early Saturday mornings, my mom with haste waking me up and saying, we're going to see family in Marietta, and we would hop in the car, and we would get there about 9 o'clock in the morning, and Nana would already have lunch ready, right? Nana would get up at 4 a.m., and she'd get biscuits, and she'd have collard greens, and she'd have pinto beans, and she'd have all these things that a little kid doesn't want to eat, you know? And we would sit there, and we would, we would have family come in, one right after another, all day long on Saturday, eating together and enjoying one another's presence. And this is the idea that I get, that she has traveled this distance. And she wants to see family. And the reason she wants to see Elizabeth is not because there's some family connection. It's because there's a desired fellowship that goes deeper than their physical connection. There's a desired fellowship of faith to take place. Because when she sees her and she sees that the barren older lady in her family is now carrying a child, it confirms what Gabriel has said to her. She is looking to confirm her faith in God's word through fellowship. Now, let me explain that to you in, in our context. As we share a common faith, as we share the communion that we have with Christ, we do so in a fellowship of believers because it confirms the faith that we have. As we walk through this life with one another and we share God's word with one another, there's a desired fellowship that we should, like Mary, have a haste to be a, to be a part of. It confirmed her faith through the fellowship. Fellowship is being spiritually connected with other believers who, by God's grace, experience a shared life. They have a shared love, a shared purpose, a shared ministry, a shared truth, a shared presence and power of the Holy Spirit, a shared sanctification as they walk through this life. They share a worship that far exceeds any other connection that they have. And the word fellowship, the verb form, is the word share, but also the noun form of that word is participation or a partnership. So there is a partnering that takes place in a desired fellowship of worship. Hebrews 10, 12, uh, 22 through 25 says, 
Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us, there's plural there, as we draw, as we draw together, we have full assurance of our faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Even as we see the writer of Hebrews, he tells us that there is a desired worship that is a, a, a desired fellowship that takes place where we confirm our faith in fellowship with other believers. Second thing is we worship in joyous delight through a multi-generational fellowship. This fellowship is multi-generational. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now we know that the age difference here had to be pretty broad. I like what Ligon Duncan says. Their fellowship was not just the fellowship of kin. This isn't just female cousins coming together. It's not just female cousins who are experiencing or who are expecting coming together. These are two women who have deep communion in God's providence. And they have a deep communion in the gospel. These are two believing women. One of the things that Luke emphasizes is that these women believed the word of God. These women believed the promise of God. These women had communion in the gospel. And that communion that they had in God's purpose and that communion in the gospel, it spanned every other difference that existed between them. I mean, think about it. What would it be like to be pregnant at the same time as your great-grandmother was pregnant? Well, Elizabeth was a cousin. She wasn't a great-grandmother, but she was old enough to be Mary's great-grandmother. Yet grace spans and unites these generations. And I want to pause and say right now, young people, don't discount that fact. Grace spans and unites the generations. There is gospel fellowship. My friends, that is how the gospel always works. I understand that Mary and Elizabeth are a very, very special case. But do you understand that that's how the gospel always works? It unites the generations. As you gather together in a, in a haste for fellowship, a desired fellowship to confirm your faith, it's done so in a multi-generational capacity. There is no generational gap when it comes to the church because you are united in Christ. There is a unity that takes place. This is what scripture te teaches us in Psalm 71, 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. So the older generation is desperately seeking to proclaim the might of the Lord to the next generation. Psalm 145, 4 through 7. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. There is a multi-generational gathering together where we sing and we proclaim the excellencies of Christ together. What a beautiful picture we see here of Mary and Elizabeth being in fellowship with one another and having this multi-generational worship experience with one another. You know, it's too common 
that churches have separated and segregated their worships based on style, and that typically divides ages. This is debilitating to the corporate worship of a church. Churches that only have older members are not fulfilling their purpose, and neither are churches that only have younger members. This is why parachurch ministries are not the replacement for the church. They simply gather together a group of believers of similar age, with similar life stages, with similar interests, and they engage in a fellowship that will become anemic because it cannot last once they outgrow that stage of life. The church is to be a multi-generational gathering of believers who exalt Christ together because we are united in Christ. And this is what we see in joyous worship. We worship in joyous delight through genuine response. And when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. The baby leaped. I can't personally describe this to you. I have no way of telling you what that's like. I can tell you I remember seeing feet push on the belly wall. I can remember hiccups where the whole belly jumps. But I have no idea what this feels like. And nor do I want to. But Luke describes this incident of this leaping. And what's so great about this word leaped is it's also used to describe the skipping and the leaping of a sheep in a field. So I want you to think about that picture where you, you see a sheep in a field and it's in its pasture and it's got green grass and it's just so exuberant that it's just jumping around. It's just so happy. And this is the genuine response of God's sheep responding to the shepherd in the womb. It, can you imagine the worship that's taking place in the womb? That there is a leaping for joy because the presence of God has come near. And this is what God's sheep do when they respond in worship in a genuine response. And even Baptists do this. John the Baptist, I mean, he leaped for joy in the womb. So we Baptists, we got some, we got some, uh, we got some explaining to do. He worships in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23 through 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We see that in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. For he will be great before the Lord. Speaking of John the Baptist. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. The genuine response of John the Baptist is one of spirit. The spirit within him is allowing him to respond in a right manner of worship. To worship in spirit is the genuine response of a regenerated believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see in John the Baptist. He also worships in truth. He worships Christ. It's a Christ-centered worship that is proclaiming who he is. He's worshiping from the womb, and he's doing exactly what he was called to do from the womb, which was be a, a pre-runner for Christ to announce Jesus is coming. And he does it even in the womb. John 3, 28 through 30. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, 
this joy is mine, is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is John the Baptist from the womb. It's joyful delight and worship. The next thing you see is we worship in joyous declaration. There's delight and there's a declaration that takes place. Verse uh, 41, about halfway. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We worship in a joyous declaration of inspired praise. There's an inspiration of the Holy Spirit that comes upon her, and she responds in this. Here we see Elizabeth respond with a worship because of the Holy Spirit that's within her. She says, blessed are you among women. She doesn't say, blessed are you above women, as some uh, would hold. She's among women. She, she is among them, but yet we do honor her because she is the mother of our Lord, but we do not raise her or elevate her above all women. Elizabeth being filled with the Spirit, she declares this in verse 43, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is a revelation from the Holy Spirit, that she can declare an inspired praise that Jesus Christ is Lord. I like how J.C. Ryle puts it. Those words, my Lord, are so familiar to our ears that we miss the fullness of their meaning. At the time they were spoken, they implied far more than we are apt to suppose. They are nothing less than a distinct declaration that the child who was to be born of the Virgin Mary was the long-promised Messiah, the Lord of whom David in spirit had prophesied, the Christ of God. Viewed in this light, the expression is a wonderful example of faith. It is a confession worthy to be placed by the side of that of Peter when he said to Jesus, You are the Christ. So we worship, we declare Jesus Christ as Lord. As believers, we see this carried on in the disciples as they were told to wait on the presence of the Holy Spirit because, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, they could declare Jesus Christ as Lord. Acts 4, 9 through, 29 through 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and we are, we are then used in that to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. It is an inspired praise that comes forth. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed the truth of who Jesus was with boldness. So as we gather together in a joyful declaration today, we do so to declare Jesus Christ as Lord. We worship in a joyous declaration of faith and belief. We have a shared faith that says, and blessed is she who believed that they were that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The thing that Elizabeth emphasizes is Mary's faith and her belief. Blessed is she who believes. Because Mary believed the word of God, she responded to the will of God. Because she believed the word of God, she, with haste, made her way to Elizabeth. She put that faith and that belief into action. 
To, be, to believe, that word means to be persuaded of, to place your confidence in. So when we believe God, the only possible evidence that we truly believe is that we obey. If you want to show that you truly have belief and faith, it's revealed in how you obey. David Guzik says Elizabeth recognized that Mary's faith played an active role in receiving the promise. Faith-fueled worship is faith-fueled obedience. The worship that we do is not just gathered together singing songs on Sunday morning. The worship that we do is a body of believers that worship in obedience throughout the week. If your faith isn't fueling faithful obedience during the week, it certainly isn't fueling faithful worship on Sunday morning. We can't just show up and, and say, you know what, I'm going to worship this morning. If our lives have not been one of obedient worship throughout the week, as Stephen Lawson says, can you imagine a Christian couple actually praying about living together before marriage? Can you fathom a young woman who professes Christ even bothering to pray about whether she should marry an unbeliever? Can you grasp a, a Christian businessman having to pray about whether he should be, uh, tell the truth in a transaction? When the word of God is so clear, praying to discern God's will becomes a convenient excuse or even a prolonged filibuster to avoid doing what Scripture commands. Many who profess Christ today emphasize a wrong view of grace that makes it a free pass to do whatever they please. Tragically, they have convinced themselves that the Christian life can be lived without any binding obligation to the moral law of God. In this hyper-grace distortion, the need for obedience has been neutered. The commandments of God are no longer in the driver's seat of Christian living. They have been regulated to the back seat, if not the trunk, like a spare tire, to be used only in case of emergency. With such a spirit of antinomianism, what needs to be reinforced again is the necessity of obedience. For all true followers of Christ, obedience is never peripheral. At the heart of what it means to be a disciple of the Lord is living and loving devotion to God. But if such love is real, the acid test is obedience. Jesus maintained, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Genuine love for Christ will always manifest itself in obedience. Your declaration of Jesus Christ as Lord is declared in a life of obedience. We worship in joyous declaration of humble exaltation. This is where we move into Mary's song of praise. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It's as if Mary, coming to this confirmation of her faith, seeing Elizabeth, the baby leaping in the womb, there being this declaration that is made by Elizabeth, it is that if her heart is just overcome and cannot contain the exaltation and the praise. And so she burst forth into song. Psalm 103.1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Notice the progression that we've seen from Mary thus far. Faith, she hears the word of God and she says she has faith in that. She surrenders to him in obedience. Then there's a song of worship. We can't skip a step there. Faith, surrender, worship. One of my most embarrassing moments in my entire life. I saw everyone's heads peek up when I said that. 
was on a field trip as a child to Red Clay State Park. As we were crossing this creek, there was different rocks, and all the teachers were there to help the, the kids along. And I was one of those kids that had the attitude of, I don't need your help, I can do it myself. And so I decided to leap from one stone to the next, and when I caught my tennis shoes on that wet rock, I went straight in, totally embarrassed in front of everybody in the class, and I walked around the rest of the day soaking wet. It's one of those, one of those moments that I just have to go to counseling for now as a 45-year-old. <laughs> the thing is, is that we often try to skip steps when we show up on Sunday morning. I'm going to show up this morning in joyful delight, and I'm going to show up this morning in joyful declaration, but if I've skipped the step of being obedient all week long, I've missed a step. This is where Mary responds. She responds from a humble state. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. Mary comes before the Lord in worship from a humble state. Zephaniah 2, 3, I love this one. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. From a humble state, Mary comes and she sings songs of praise. Verse 47, she says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I want you to recognize that Mary recognizes from her humble state that she is a sinner and she is in need of a Savior. She's a sinner and she has been chosen by the grace of God to give birth to the Savior of the world. And she recognizes I am as in much need of a Savior as everyone else. So today we join with Mary in worshiping the fact that we need a Savior. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from one generation to generation, from generation to generation. Mary mentions three specific attributes of God in her song of praise. He is mighty, he is holy, and he is merciful. He is mighty, he is holy, and he is merciful. Humble exaltation lifts up he who is mighty. There is an exaltation that takes place as we gather together in humble worship to exalt the Lord above everything else in our life. Psalm 99.5, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Worship at his footstool. Do you see how we exalt the Lord from a humble position? The exalted at his footstool means that we bow low before his feet to raise his name above every other name. We, in humble exaltation, call out holy is his name. Holy is his name. Revelation 4.8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who 
who was and is and is to come. There is continual praise in the presence of God. Holy, holy, holy is his name. It never ceases to happen. We see a glimpse of this in Isaiah 6, chapter, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. As we gather together in a humble expression of praise, we acknowledge that he alone is holy. God alone is separate from all sinful humanity. He is perfect. He always does that which is right. Because he is holy, he can only do that which is true and that which is good. He is absolutely pure. He is absolutely sinless. And he alone is the one to be praised. And so we exalt him together today. And then she says of his mercy. Humble exaltation sings of his mercy. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is exactly how the Lord describes himself in Exodus chapter 34, 6 through 7. When he comes to Moses, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. Today, we humbly exalt the Lord who is almighty, whose name is holy, and who is merciful and gracious as we, in fellowship, confirm our faith with one another. He has, verse 51, shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. As Mary worships, as she exalts the name above every name, she also tears down the worldly idols. You notice that? She tears down worldly pride. Psalm 10, 4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. In humble exaltation, we humble ourselves to recognize that there is a God, and we're not him. As Martin Collins says, this self-exalted person is he who thinks he stands on his own merits. Self-exaltation is an excessively intensified sense of well-being, power, or importance. At its worst, it is self-tribute, self-praise, self-honoring, self-glorifying, self-worshipping. It overly breaks the first three commandments by placing oneself as more important than God setting oneself up as an idol and making the name of one's God I or me. As we humbly approach the throne of grace, we do so in an exaltation that tears down the idols of this world and exalts Christ. Lastly, humble exaltation proclaims the promise of our salvation. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, he has spoke to our fathers 
to Abraham and to his offspring forever. As Mary ends her song of praise, she emphasizes the covenant promise that was made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, that there was a covenant promise that was made by God to Abraham, that there would be an offspring. And all those who are in that offspring will have life forever. As we gather together, we worship the fact that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that covenant that was made. Paul would say in Galatians 3.16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Galatians 3.29, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There is much to give thanks and praise for today. There is much to have a joyous delight that bursts forth as we, like sheep in a pasture, leap for joy because of the presence of Jesus Christ. And there is much to be declared by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells believers. We declare Jesus Christ as Lord. And then we recognize the fact that because of him and because of his coming in the flesh and his dying on a cross, we have been brought in to a promise of salvation. Amen.